That's fun. Can we just pray and go home now? No. I got some work to do. Um, all right. Have you ever had someone look at you and say something like, you'd be a fool not to do X, Y, Z? You ever had someone just look at you and say that? Like, you'd be a fool if you didn't invest in, like, you know, whatever they're investing in, like, like crypto or some kind of stock or some kind of re- retirement. Like, you'd be a fool if you didn't do that. Or you'd be a fool if you didn't consider my way of eating, whether it be keto or paleo or carnivore or vegan or tree barkisms or whatever it is. Or you'd be a fool not to take that deal, to buy that thing. Or you'd be a fool to stay with that boyfriend or girlfriend. Or you'd be a fool not to lock her down or lock him down because you should marry. Have you ever had someone just say to you, you'd be a fool if you didn't do something? How how offensive is that, you know? Like, that's an offensive... Like, the audacity for someone to look you in the face and say, you'd be a fool if you didn't do that. Like, that's pretty offensive, isn't it? Like, I I mean, it's bad. Well, we're continuing our series through Lent, and and here's what I want to say to you. You would be a fool today (laughs) to not listen to what Jesus is saying and actually apply it to your life. As a matter of fact, we would be fools today not just just to only hear him and not do or to act upon what he is talking about. Now, right now, you'd be like, well, I don't like it that you're calling me a fool. I'm not the one that's going to be calling us a fool today. As a matter of fact, Jesus may be the one showing us some ways in which we have been fools. Now, he doesn't do this to shame us. He doesn't do this uh, to make fun of us. He doesn't do this to hurt us. He does this to to heal us. Maybe many of you have been around church for a while. You've probably have heard of this proverb, Proverbs 27, 6. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And so he may wound us today as a good friend in order to help heal us in a certain area. I mean, this really is the heart of the season of Lent, is dying to live, allowing ourselves, our ways, our sins, our bad habits, our faulty thinking, our selfishness, our laziness to be called out by Jesus and his word. And he calls us out not to shame us. No, there's no shame in it. And he calls us out not to condemn us because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, not to even just modify our behavior. What Jesus wants to do is he wants to change our hearts. And when he grabs hold of our hearts and changes our hearts, that's where he changes our lives. And sometimes he has to say some tough things to us. And we be fools to not allow him to do some heart work today. So if you've got a Bible, go to Luke chapter 12. That's where we're going to spend our time today. Luke chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, we say it each and every week. Uh, Here at Grace Point Church, you're going to need a Bible. We lead, teach, and preach from the Bible. And so we have them in English and Spanish at these front tables, back tables, and center point. Please walk by and grab one. That is our free gift to you. And then also, uh, there's an app on your phone called YouVersion. You can download that. If you do, you click events, and all the Grace Point Church stuff will pop up. You'll see my notes in there and everything. Uh, But today, as we're doing through the season of Lent, we're looking at the parables of Jesus. And this parable is called the parable of the rich fool. Now, many of you would say, well, this parable has nothing to do with me. I'm not rich. Well, uh, you may not feel rich, but if you live in America, and I'm going to assume right now you live in America, uh, is that uh, globally, we are very rich. I would argue this is the most American parable of all. Now, if you were with us last week, I told us when we go through uh, a parable of Jesus, what we want to do is we want to put ourselves in the shoes of Jesus. When he's calling everyone out, we want to be the one who's going to judge everybody and call everyone out. Resist the urge. Let me say it one more time. Resist the urge. Let's put ourselves in the shoes of the rich fool here. 
Why? Because it's going to help us see our lives and be honest in our lives. And what do we need more than anything uh, in our lives right now? Probably a little bit of sobering honesty. We should have some honesty. And so up until this point in the Gospel of Luke, which was written by Luke, and he was paid a large sum of money to go investigate all the claims and all the sayings of Jesus. Up until this point, Jesus' ministry is very, very public, and he's going around, and he's doing a lot of teaching. And he is, at this point, right before this, teaching some super hard teachings. Like, he's saying, like, hey, you're going to have to make a stand for me, and it's going to cost you. And right before this, he's talking about hell. So he's talking about these very, very tough things. Now, imagine if you were in a crowd, and you're hearing Jesus teach about these really hard things. What question would it, would, it, would it cause you to want to ask him? Well, good for us is we have it right here in the gospel of a, someone that was listening to Jesus goes and asks him a question. It's in verse 13. Are you there? Okay, you ready to do some work? All right. Someone in the crowd said to him, now mind you, Jesus is talking about hell. Jesus is talking about like, you know, giving up everything to follow him. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. That's odd. Like, that's not what you, that's not like, Jesus talking about hell, you'd think the question would be like, how do I not go there? How do I not do that? Like, you know, but no, how, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And you, you know the drill, how an inheritance works. And I think in this scenario, someone has died, that would probably be the father. And one of the brothers wants his share, or at least more than the other, maybe. Uh, and we know when it comes to inheritances, um, that can really make a family go sour at times. Am I right? Some of you right now know that, or you have dealt with that. Like when someone dies, every, all the family members and all the extended family members come out of the woodwork with their hands out like, where's my share, where's my portion? All of a sudden, they were the bestie with grandma or whatever at that time. of like, she's going to give me all the money? Well, it's the same situation right here. Regardless, Jesus is going to be setting us up in this parable. And the idea is that, well, we need first know that we are going to die. And when we die, how many possessions do we take with us? Are you sure of that? Why do, we, why do we live like we're taking it all with us? John, St- John Stott said this, Possessions are only the traveling luggage of time. They're not the stuff of eternity. It would be sensible, therefore, to travel light. So the guy asked uh, Jesus this question, and I love Jesus' response. Verse 14, Jesus said to him, man. I just like, Jesus like, man, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? Now, we all know from the Bible that Jesus is the judge. The Bible says that he will judge the living and the dead. The reason why Jesus says he's not the judge in this situation, he's just not going to give it to this guy. He's just not going to answer this guy. He's like, it's, there, there's you know, courts and uh, you know, systems and structures set up to, to answer all this. This is, this is not why I came. And so like, look, this is not my business. Now, mind you, there's uh, probably some Pharisees listening there. That's kind of like the religious police of the time. The disciples are listening. And as we read it, we're listening as well. Uh, And Jesus is going to give basically a warning and a principle. Okay? So we need to hear the warning and the principle. You're going to say, well, this is not for me. This is for you. A warning and a principle. Verse 15. He said to them and us, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I'm going to say that one more time. One's life, your life, my life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. So here's the warning. The warning right here, he says, take care, which just means watch out, be on guard against covetousness. What is that? It means to lust, to have more than one's fair share in life, a bounding grasp 
for more and more and more. Thomas Watson said this, coveting is an insatiable desire to get the world. Jesus later on says it like this in Matthew 16, 26. He says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? It's this idea that I'm trying to gain everything in the world. I want it all, which sounds like the American dream. Like, give, give, give me everything. I want everything I get. And when, when we're not content with what we have, then we will covet. Like, if we're, and what does the word content mean? Content means this. I'm okay with what I have. I'm okay with what I don't have. Question to ask your heart real quick. Heart, am I content with what I have and what I don't have? If we're not content with what we have, if we're not content with what we don't have, then we will covet. We will want more. We will lust and greed for everything else around us. And we know how that is, right? I mean, you've received things in life only to want more. I mean, think about when we get possessions or when we get a house or when we get a car or when we get a little bit of money or when we get a degree or when we get a gift. It seems like it, we're content for a moment, but what happens to us like after that moment passes? We, we just want more. It's a contentment issue that we, that we have. It just leaves us wanting more. Mick Jagger says you can't, can't find no satisfaction, right? The, the preacher of the Old Testament, uh, preacher in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes, he said this perfectly. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, he who loves money will not be satisfied, content. If you love it, you will not be content with money or satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. It's just like you're grasping for the wind. You can never grab a hold of it. See, that's the thing about stuff and possessions and money and all that. Jesus uh, in, intentionally calls it out. That's why he calls it possessions. Interesting, we call things possessions because either we possess them or they will possess us. I mean, it's okay. Listen to me. It's okay to have stuff as long as stuff doesn't have you. It's okay to have money as long as money doesn't have you. Jesus doesn't want us to be defined by it, and Jesus doesn't want us striving after it like that's going to give us the meaning of life. They are not to define us. Look back at verse 15. He says, one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Your identity is not by what you have, what you wear, what you live in, and what you drive, and how much is in your account, and how much is in your 401k. That's what he is saying right here. Your life does not consist of the abundance of possessions. We need to hear that on repeat over and over and over. Those things are good, but they will not give you a fulfilling life. Hey, have you ever noticed, for some of my older people out there, I'm sorry, for some of my advanced in years people out there, hey, um, that's the way the Bible says it, am I right? That's the way the Bible says it. Uh, you ever notice that um, you seem like you amass more things in life and they just tie up more of your time, energy, and efforts? Like, like, get a pool and see how that works out for you. Like, I just want a pool. Get a pool. It's like, oh my gosh, how much work. Get a dog. Am I, am I right? It's just like the more stuff you get, the more like time, energy, effort, resources it takes just to maintain. And it feels like at times those possessions just possess me. And they're not there to give you a, a, to ultimate fulfillment in life. If you believe that your stuff, your possessions, your money, all that is there to give you ultimate fulfillment in life, you have been duped. You have been fooled. You are playing the role of the fool in the story. That's what Jesus is saying. 
Now, if our stuff, our possessions, our money, and all that doesn't give us ultimate life, then what will give us ultimate life? Well, Jesus now is going to give the parable. I want to read through the parable, and then we'll, we'll kind of backtrack through it and, and, and tear it apart and look at it, okay? Verse 16, you still with me? Okay, verse 16. And he told them a parable. And remember, a parable is a, is a, um, a story. It's like Jesus is making a story to, to really hammer in uh, you know, a truth to us. He told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, so this is the man's inner thinking in this world, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he says, I will do this. I will go get me a storage unit and storage containers, and I will put all my stuff in the storage unit and pay a very high fee. Isn't that what we do? He didn't, he didn't do that. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. So the rich man was a farmer, and he represents all of us who can be seduced easily by uh, covetousness and possessions, possessing us all, no matter where you're at in life. And this man, we look at this story, and it feels like this man uh, comes by his wealth honestly, like so many of us as well. He did not cheat to get the fields. He didn't step on other farmers to climb to the top. It doesn't say anything about that in the story. And we can see that God, is, God has blessed him because these are crops. It takes rain. It takes good soil. God doesn't get control of all that. Uh, I'm sure he was probably a huge success to all those around him. And to this point, everything is really good. But Jesus, remember, has given us a warning. So there's got to be something more there. There's got to be a danger. What's the danger? I would say the danger is a false sense of security. There's a false sense of security and a success and a stuff. And also another danger here is the guy's talking to himself and never talks to God, never makes any mention of God. So this is all about himself and for himself and to himself. What do you call that? Let me answer for us. Selfishness. Thank God none of us struggle with selfishness. Am I right? <laughs> oh, man. I mean, it's those other people. Yeah, and no one lies to you more than you, too. But So verse 17. Let's go back to this. So he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. So uh, building a new barn was logical. It was practical. It was a very smart idea. This is a really good idea. But there's danger in what is missing in his, his thought life. There's no thought of sharing what he has. He has extra. There was no thought at all sharing, only hoarding. There, there's no thought of him being a steward of like, wait a minute, this is from God. I'm not an owner of this. I'm a steward of this. And so I could, I could help people. There's no thought of the poor, no thought of the sick, no thought of the oppressed, no thought of the, the community around, around him. Like, how are they doing? There's no thought of God's kingdom. Only thought of his own kingdom. Please hold on to that. He's not thinking about what's good for God's kingdom. He's only thinking about what's good for my little kingdom. And so he says to himself in verse 19, he says, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be married. Okay, all right, work with me on this. What, what does that sound like? Wait, wait, I've, I've worked really hard. I've saved up. I'm good to go for years. Only thing I got left to do with the rest of my years is relax, eat, drink, be married. What, what does this sound like? You can say it out loud. Your word's not mine. Retirement. 
That's how you want to interpret it, then we'll go that path. Okay. So you said retirement. Well, interesting enough, it's funny you said that because the Bible talks very little to, to not much at all about retirement. Did you know this? It, it doesn't. Uh, I mean, the Bible does recognize that we are embodied souls, meaning uh, the older we get, we slow down a little bit. We don't work as hard as we worked and all that. Am I right? Yes. The Bible talks about that. But retiring to a life of self-indulgence finds no favor with God. I want to say that one more time. Retiring to a life of self-indulgence, of building your own kingdom, of doing whatever you want to do just for you and you alone finds no favor with God. I've read the Bible many times. It does not. It is unbiblical is what it is. It is not for Christians. The whole ideas of, of toes in the water, behind in the sand, and a drink in your hand is not in the Bible. Playing pickleball all day along with Dale Daniels is not going to cut it in Sun City. It's just not going to work. It's just not. Some of you would say, well, Ty, you don't understand. I did my time. What was life a prison sentence for you? I paid my nickel. Like, I'm done. Like, I'm out. Like, no. I've read this psalm before, but if you are in the retirement stage and age, please hear this. Psalm 92, 12. Some of you are like, I hate this message. How dare you mess with my retirement? I worked hard for it. Hear, hear these words. I want you to hear these. This is, this is God's word. The righteous, it's in Psalm 92, 12. The righteous flourish. Are you flourishing in your, in your later years? Flourish like a palm tree and grow. You, are you still growing? We'll never stop growing. Grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. Are you planted in the house of the Lord? Like a part of the family and really investing it? They flourish in the courts of God. Verse 14, they still bear fruit in old age. Are you still bearing fruit? Bear fruit in old age, and they are ever full of sap and green. Are you full of sap? Some of you are like, I've been heard I'm full of something, but are you full of sap? Like there's, there's life in you. What, what, what is that life to do? And it says in verse 15, to declare. Are you still declaring the goodness of God in your life? Are you still declaring to the generations around you to declare that the Lord is upright? He's my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Now, pause. Did I, did, does that psalm describe your retirement or your view of retirement? I mean, you, you may retire from a job, which is great. You do not retire from the kingdom of God if you're in Christ. You, you, you may slow down, but there's no quit in you until the Lord calls you home. Here's what I know. You in here right now, you're still alive, as far as I know. And if you're still alive, what does that tell us? God's not finished with you. And so, so there, there's no stop. There's no quit in you. Now, you may be thinking, well, Ty, here, here's my view of retirement. I've made all this money. I'm going to pass this money off to my kids, grandkids, great-grandkids. I'm going to pass that money off. That way, they can have a better start than I have, and they can have a cushy life, and it's really going to help them out to make life easier for them. Well, I mean, that sounds good in theory, and I think that there's some principles in the Bible about passing on, and that, that's a good thing. But you need to ask yourself, and I'm, some of you younger people are like, don't be telling this to my parents. <laughs> Will this help them or hurt them? Because the, 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 the Proverbs talk a lot about what, what money does in a fool's hands. 
So there needs to be wisdom there. But the, but the, so, so that's fine, but listen, listen, listen. The greatest thing you can pass down is your faith. Grandma, grandpa, whatever you, gra- Mimi and Pee or whatever y'all call yourself, I don't know what you call your, <laughs> Gigi and Goo Goo, I don't know, Lolly and Pop, I don't know what you call yourself, Buelo and Buelo, I don't know what you call yourself, but listen, listen to me. Your kids, <laughs> I don't know. Your kids and your grandkids, they need your faith. You got it at a different time, and you got it in a different way, and some people are leaving those ways, and some of those ways are good to leave, let me be honest, and some of those ways are not, and you need to pass the good news down to them. You need to pass down the scriptures to them and pass down the disciplines of loving God's word and being connected to a church like a family member and serving the Lord and caring for people and opening your home and all those kinds. We need you. Do, you. do you hear that? That's not just preacher talk. You are, you're needed. You're needed. So enough about this retirement stuff. It was your idea. It wasn't mine. You wanted to go there. I'm just saying. So anyway, the, the rich fool here, he's planned out the way he wants to go in life. But he has this false security. He thought all these possessions were his, like he was an owner. But he's just a steward. Uh, he hoarded everything. You know. So he, here's the reality. The rich fool thought he had a storage problem. But what he had was a spiritual problem. He had a heart problem. And sometimes we think, well, we have a, a financial issue or we have a storage issue. When at the end of the day, we have an idolatry issue. We have a spiritual, we have a heart issue. And so uh, what, what's going to happen in this story? Well, verse 20. But God said to the rich fool, the rich fool, fool, calls him a fool. This night your soul is required of you. What does that mean? Somebody give me that. What? You're going to die. You're going to die. This guy thought like, oh, I got all the time in the world. I'm good to go. No, you die tonight. This night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Calls him a fool. Now, just make sure we understand a fool is not an education or intellect issue. I've seen a lot of smart fools, haven't you? They're on Twitter. Now I'll stop. Uh, verse, um, what, what is a fool? I want to show you what a fool is. Uh, Psalm 14, verse 1 says this. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. So the phrase right there, there is no God. When a fool says there is no God, it's not like they're making an atheistic statement. They're not, it's not like they're, I don't believe there's a God whatsoever. That's not the way the context works there. When they said that there is no God, the idea is they live like there is no God. This idea of like, they're not an atheist, but they practically live like an atheist. They're a practical atheist. The idea is like that God is not concerned with my everyday decisions. God is not concerned what I do down here. God is not concerned with any of that. That is a fool. That's, that's what's going on right here. This idea that I may say one thing like, yeah, I believe there's a God, but my life doesn't show any of it. The classic Brennan Manning quote is ready for that. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the doors, and deny him by their lifestyles. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. It's the idea. That's what it means to live like a fool. You may say one thing about God, but you live a whole nother way uh, that doesn't line up. This is why Jesus calls this person a rich fool. Look at verse 21. 
Now, he's going to, he's going to land the plane, and it's going, to, it's going to be jarring. So is the one, meaning you are a full if. So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus has called us a fool if we're just laying up treasures for ourselves and yet we are not theologically, if you will, or you know, spiritually rich towards God. And I would add with that, because he's talking about a very, uh, a very concrete principle here, we're not practically rich towards God. Now, we've got to ask ourselves the question, where did the fool go wrong? Because we don't want to be fools, and we need to see where did the fool go wrong. Here's a thought. It's a parable, so let's play. Let's have a little fun with it. Here's a thought. Where did the fool go wrong? The fool went wrong in his decisions. His dis- decision-making was faulty. He had all this plenty, like all this uh, abundance of crops. He could have thought about what, what, a, what does God want with this and how could I help other people with it and not just hoard it and stuff like that. But his decision-making of like, you know what I need to do? Tear down my barns, make bigger barns, and that way I'll have plenty. I can sit back and do nothing. His decision-making. And so we need to think about, as Christians, if you're a Christian today, we need to think about how do I make decisions in life? And so he's making a financial decision. And so we need to ask, how do I make financial decisions? But I would say even bigger than that, how do you make decisions in life? And so most Christians, if I were to ask you right now, how do you make decisions in life? You would say, I, I, I want to know what God's will is. And so we, the, the question goes like this. We'll say, what is God's will for my life? Right? Is that most of us will say, what's God's will for my life? And I, I'm going to push back on that just a little bit because I think that's where, that's where the fault lies. It's when we ask, what is God's will for my life? Because we make it highly individualistic and just about us. And when we're looking for God's will for my life, it typically just favors us and no one else around us. And, and just be really honest with you, if you're a Christian, it's no longer your life. You, you forfeited your life when you trusted Jesus. Do you remember that? I don't know, did the preacher or the, whoever told you about Jesus, did they give you the fine print on that? Like, when you trust Jesus, you're giving up rights to your life. Do you remember that? Anybody? That, the, so some of you are like, whoa, what? <laughs> like, that's it? Well, I didn't say that. 1 Corinthians 6 helps us with that. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says this. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Look at this next line. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Your life is no longer yours. And so asking what is God's will for my life, I think, is a little bit of a faulty question. I think it, it, it kind of it leads us into individualism. And that, our culture loves that. Be your true self, be your authentic self, you do, you boo-boo, and all that good stuff. And it's like, you know, follow your heart, whatever. I don't, I don't think that helps us. Look back at the parable. I want to show you something. The, the fool here is absorbed with himself, very individualistic. Notice in the text, there's 12 personal pronouns, and I'm not an English major. I think they're called pronouns, right? Cool. Verse 17. <laughs> Watch them. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul. Do you see that? There's like 12 of them right there. Me, myself, and I. I mean, there, this is just everything right here. I would argue, if we use a little bit of holy imagination, 
I could imagine this guy sitting back and saying, what is God's will for my life? And he would probably sit there and say, well, you know, God's will for my life is to be comfortable. And God's will for my life is to get what I want, the desires of my heart. And God's will for my life is, look at how he's blessing me. I bet he just wants me to relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And I say it kind of facetiously, and you're like, that sounds dumb. We do the same thing. We, we really do. We sit back and we think, what is God's will for my life? And it always benefits us into the positive win column. And it's all about our self-indulgence if we're not careful. But I have to push back on that. Is this what we find when we read the Gospels? Is Jesus okay with that? When we read uh, the New Testament, when you look at the churches in Galatia and, and Ephesus and Thessalonica and all, like, is that what we see the, the, the church being instructive of like, hey, be all about yourself and just take care of number one and make sure everything works out for you? Is that what we see the kingdom of God is about? It's about you getting what you want all the time and being self-indulgent and all? Is that what it's about? It's not. No, it's not. I don't think that's the heart of God. I don't think that's the way of the kingdom. And speaking of the kingdom, which I would argue most of Jesus' parables are about the kingdom of God. And when he talks about the kingdom of God, he talks a lot about eternal life. I think that's a question for us to wonder. When does eternal life start? Sometimes we think eternal life is, you know, I, I, I live this life, I run out the clock, I die, and I go to heaven, which is part, partly true. But isn't, isn't eternal life now? When Jesus came and saved us, like we get to live in parts of it now? Isn't, isn't the kingdom now? Is it? Well, let me show us. Mark 1 says this. Jesus says in Mark 1, 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What does the kingdom of God is at hand mean? Or the Lord's Prayer. We just prayed in Matthew 6. It says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Where? When is, when is on earth? You're right. Now. That informs us that the kingdom of God is now. It'll be fully realized when Jesus returns, heaven and earth are one. Absolutely. And so if the kingdom of God is now, then every decision we make as Christians should have a kingdom focus, is my argument. Not our kingdom, his kingdom. Gordon Spikeman said this, nothing matters but the kingdom, but because of the kingdom, everything matters. To so be honest, have you been living for your kingdom alone? And when we answer that question, honestly, there's probably pockets and areas or maybe big chunks in our life where we have. And Jesus calls us fools. Sit in that for just a second. Don't let this thing go away too quick. Fools. Don't wallow too long, Christian. Don't wallow too long. Uh, there's a, a poet by the name of Michael Kiost. He's a, a French poet. He's dead, long gone. Uh, anyway, he is, uh, I don't know why I said it like that. He's no longer with us. He ran out his clock. Um, he, he's got these great poems. And one of these poems is like um, Jesus talking to a sinner. And, and he says this, ask my pardon and get up quickly. You see, it's not falling that is worst, but staying on the ground. Better words than a French poet 
is the Bible. Romans 8, 1 says, therefore, there, there is therefore now, right now. In the middle of like, I've been a fool financially. I've been a fool with my possessions. I've been a fool as a steward. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We may have been a fool. Jesus loves a fool. Jesus lived for fools. He had no one else to live for. Jesus died on the cross for fools. Jesus came back to life, defeating sin, Satan, and death for fools. But how do we change? Well, I think he empowers us to change, and I think it starts with daily decisions. And the daily decision is this. How do you make your decisions? Not what is God's will for my life. What, is, what if we were to ask the question, what is God's will for his kingdom? See how that changes everything? It gives us a whole new attitude. It gives us a whole new way of seeing things. What is God's will for his kingdom. We don't want to be fools, so what do we do? Well, we need to listen to what Jesus said and do what he says, not in theory, but practically, how do we do it? Uh, he tells us what to do. Look back at verse 21. He says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So the question is, how can we be rich towards God with everything in life? Are we rich with our money? Are we rich with our possessions? Are we rich with our attitudes? Are we rich with everything that we have? It's not bad to have money. Money's okay. It's not bad to have stuff. That's okay. We just want to use it for God's kingdom. We don't want to depend upon it. We don't want it to be our security. We don't want it to be our identity. We want to use it for the kingdom. Now, there is only, in my opinion, one antidote to not be a fool when it comes to possessions, wealth, and money. Only one antidote. It comes out in two different ways, but one antidote, antidote, one way. You know what that one way is? You're going to love it. You ready? Give. Feel it right now. Here we go. The church just wants my money. <laughs> Typical pastor, just like those guys and gals on TV. Call this number, give this money. Some of you have been wounded by that. Some of you have been taken advantage by that. Some of you had people in your family taken advantage by that. And for that, I am sorry. It just feels like all the time a preacher just wants to beat a nickel out of me. So it's like, here we go. He's going to try to get money from me. Well, it's not like that. If you've been around Grace Point Church long enough, we don't really do money series here. I don't talk about money often unless I absolutely have to. But here's the reality. If you look and research the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I think it's like almost a third of Jesus' um, teachings are on possession, wealth, and money. So Jesus talks about it a lot. Why in the world would Jesus talk so much about it? Because he said wherever our heart is or wherever our treasure is, that's where our heart will be. And whatever we treasure the most, well, that's where our heart's at. You remember back in the 90s? And it may be cool now because like 90s is back. Have you seen the style nowadays? Oh, I saw a kid get a permed mullet. Oh, I did. Saw it with my own eyes. Remember the 90s when people wore the, um, the wallet with the chain on it? Because like someone's going to run off with their wallet. It's like that chain is attached to our heart sometimes. There's a story in the, in the uh, not good time of Christianity during the Crusades, not, not, the, not, the, best, not the brightest moment for Christians back in our history, uh, during the Crusades, you know when the Crusades, when they would go out and they'd hold a knife or sword to someone's throat like, hey, trust Jesus or die. And people were like, okay, I'll trust Jesus. I'm like, down with that. Um, they said that they would baptize Crusaders. 
And when they would baptize crusaders, uh, they would want to be baptized completely by full immersion, except their swords they wanted to hold above water. And they said, God, you can have my life, you can have my soul, but you can have my sword. And we're like, huh, that's weird. But I tell you what, most of us as Christians today, it's like, uh, I want to be baptized. Can I hold my wallet and my purse above my head? Because Lord, you can have my life and you can give me heaven and everything, but just don't touch this. And I think it is an issue of the heart. I mean, when we look back at this parable, you see some attitudes. You see attitudes formed in this fool. And I think we take these attitudes on sometimes. I mean, think about it. He was thankless. Who provides the rain? Who provides a good soil for crops to grow? No thanks in there. He's selfish. It's all for him. He's self-absorbed. It's all, it's all about him. He's possessive. This is my stuff, my barns. He's presumptuous. Like, I can do all these things. I'm going to live a long life, and yet God called his life into account that one night. We don't want to be the fool. That's why it says, verse 21, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So I told you there was one way, give, and there's two ways that happens. Number one, we need to have an attitude of giving. What if we as Christians just had an attitude of giving? Like a heart of generosity. We might not have much to give much, and that's okay. But if, what if we had a heart that says, I'm going to, like, it's not mine anyway. Like, I'm just a steward. I own nothing. Some of you are like, no, I worked hard for all this. Who gave you the brain? Deuteronomy says everything comes from God, uh, even like what you can put your mind to and all that. And so we're just stewards of it. We're not owners of it. But what if we had a posture, a heart of just being generous people? If we see someone without, if there's any way we can provide, let's provide. I mean, imagine what that would look like with your money. Let's talk about money for a second. Imagine if you had some extra money. Imagine what that would be like, guys. Am I right? Imagine if you did. And someone is without. And what if you were able to help them? What if you were able to put in your budget, which budgeting is a great thing. What if you were to put in your budget this, this money over here to where like when someone's in need, we, we have a posture. We're ready to give, to provide, to help. What if we were to be people like that? Imagine what that would look like. Transformative to a community around us. Imagine if our homes, we have homes that we live in, whether your apartment or whether your house or whatever it looks like, townhouse. What if we were to, to have a, a heart that says, you know, this home is God's. I get to live here. Of course, my name's on the deed, X, Y, Z. But like, I, I want to use this to be hospitable to outsiders. Isn't that a gospel cause? Isn't that in our Bibles, Old Testament, New Testament? Hospitable. I want to welcome people in. I want people to come to a warm presence. I want people to come into a meal. I mean, we've had our, lived in the house we live in right now for like 15 years. We have a spare bedroom, and we've had people, multiple people throughout the years live with us. Why? We want to help them get on their feet. This extra bedroom is just sitting there, so let's use it to help people out. What if we had a posture of that? What if they, our possessions, our cars and all of our gadgets and all of our stuff, all of our 15 jackets we have hanging up in our closet and our 83 pairs of shoes and all that, what if we had an idea of our possessions are so many people without I've got extra. My extra can become there enough. What if we had that posture when they come in their home, like, I like your TV. I'm like, take it. I don't need it anyway. Just get it. Whatever, what else do you like? Just, just go shopping here. Take it off. It takes a heart. And that's the heart of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 8 9. Brandon did such a wonderful job in the liturgy explaining this. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, like rich, like heaven rich. Like a rich that we don't even understand. Though he's rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty 
might become rich. Yeah, it's the heart of Jesus. Just give and give and give. An attitude is good. I think that's the beginning. But the second part of that is, number two, the practice of giving. I, I just want you to know my heart. I, if you know me, you know this about me. I hate talking about money. It's an issue. It's just like, I just like, eh, it makes people uncomfortable and eh, people don't like it. People are going to think I just want their money. I don't. The church doesn't just need your money. I want God to have your heart. And the Bible talks about over and over and over a practice, like a rhythm as people, as his people of giving. If you look in 2 Corinthians, it talks about first to the Lord. Like everything goes first to the Lord. And so before tax man, before everything else, first to the Lord. What do we give first to the Lord? When you look at a practice of giving, the Bible shows us that the practice of giving should be sacrificial. Like when we give, it should, we should feel a little pinch of like, man, we're, we're doing without something. Thanks be to God. Like we feel the pinch. It should be intentional. Like that we're thinking about like, hey, how can we give and what do we give and what does that look like within our budget? It should be cheerful. The Bible says that God doesn't want a begrudged giver. Like, oh gosh, I got to give this money to God. I would say, listen to your, your pastor say this. If your heart is there, don't give. Don't give any money. You need, to, you need to hand your sin over to God. You need to hand your, your begrudged heart of why, but don't give. But we are called to give. Some people say, where do I start? I usually say 10% is a good place. Why? Because remember, we're stewards. Live off 90, start with 10. You can give more, you can give less. Some of you, I can't give that much. Just be cheerful, sacrificial, and intentional and be a part of what God is doing. For some of you, you haven't looked at your giving in forever of like, it's just automatic. Think about it. Like, take time to pray over it. Maybe that's just right, or maybe maybe that would be more. I don't know. For some of you, it's a habit that you've just gotten out of. Like, you know, I used to give, but then we got out of the habit. And Giving changes our heart. It releases the grip. It's not the church just wants my money. It's not that at all. If it is, please come see me. Please talk to me about it. But we want to have an attitude of giving and a practice of getting. Start giving. Start simple. Uh, start uh, small. Start anywhere. I know God can take that and grow our trust in him because it, it really ends up being a trust issue. Do you trust him? Luke 12, 21 says this. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself, that's the fool, and is not rich towards God. I have a question. Does Jesus tell the truth? Will we believe him? Will we listen to him in this? We'd be fools not to. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, thank you so much um, just for your word. It's clear in what it says. Um, just please, please, even in the presentation of it, just fill in the gaps. Holy Spirit, speak, do your thing uh, that, that you do. Uh, God, I just pray for us. We, 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 we want to be wise. We don't want to be fools. And God, I know all of us here at times struggles with possessions possessing us. We either worship with our money or we will worship it, as Jesus has told us time and time again. So God, I pray that we'd be a people that use our money, that use our homes, that use our possessions, that use everything, not for my life and my kingdom, but for yours and yours alone. And I pray as we do that, it really will do good uh, to the people around us, the people who are struggling or people who have no gospel churches around them or 
uh, people who need ministering to or people who just need clothing or people who need food or whatever that may, may be, God. I pray that we can be a part of your plan to be used by you to really provide for people. And so, God, would you give us a heart of giving, a heart of generosity, and God, would you enable us to participate and practice giving. As you do that, grow our hearts closer to you. Form us more into Christ's likeness. Draw our hearts closer together. Increase our joy. All for your glory, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.